Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 37. We read the scripture a little bit earlier. It's a big chunk, so we read that as our scripture reading. We usually don't take such big chunks, but today we are. We're going to take a big bite. Some of you might have glanced at Facebook this week and saw a post that my wife put about my encounter with sour cream this week. (laughs) Now, for those of you who might not know me very well, let's just say that sour cream is one of the things that I religiously avoid. There are many other things that I avoid, by the way such as mayonnaise, guacamole, strenuous exercise, running, and peanut butter and brownies. Most of them are like me, or most of you are like me, in that there are things that you do avoid, right? You got things that you just try to avoid. Your list may be different than mine, but there are some things that we prefer not to just deal with. We're going to read a passage this morning about avoiding vultures, avoiding vultures, hence the title today, Avoiding Vultures from Luke chapter 17. In last week's message, Luke records an encounter between Jesus and the 10 lepers who who desire physical healing. Remember that there was 10 of them. Father, Jesus, have mercy on us. And out of the 10 healed, only one, though, found true restoration As Christ not only healed him physically, but also spiritually by giving him grace and faith. Something much more than he was asking. He gave him not only a physical need, but a spiritual need. And we saw that true faith is always marked by humility, gratefulness, and worship. In today's passage, Jesus is going to answer both the Pharisees and the the disciples' questions and their concerns about the kingdom of God and what they think of as the day of the Lord, the last days. And as usual, Jesus' answers, answers go much deeper than the superficial and selfish desires of his inquisitors as he wants his disciples to be ready for his eventual departure. Let's pray. Father, so give us wisdom as we tackle this portion of scripture, as we think of the kingdom of God, as we think of the day of the Lord, as that that day when Christ returns. Father, we're anticipating that as much as Israel was anticipating the first advent that we're celebrating during this season. But give us wisdom because this is a day that many of us, if, if we know about it, we don't spend much time thinking about, but yet in Scripture, you've called us to be ready, to be prepared. It's a day that we are to, to wait for, to, to, to longingly anticipate. It's our hope, that confident expectation that you will fulfill all your promises. So be with us this morning as we do the work of going through your word, uh, reading it, observing it, interpreting it, and applying it to our lives. And may your spirit work within our hearts this morning. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Now, the Pharisees' question, as we look at the first part of there, is centered on the topic of when the kingdom of God would come, while the disciples' question centers on where is the kingdom of God? Where would it win, or where the kingdom would arrive and appear? 
Jesus answers the Pharisees by proclaiming that the kingdom's coming is not observable in any normal or natural way as other kingdoms. Just think of a kingdom, you would look at certain things, you would look for geography, you would look for, for a person, you would look for certain things. John MacArthur writes that the Pharisees believed that the Messiah, his triumph would be immediate. When he come, he, it would be immediate. They were looking for him to come to overthrow Rome and set up the millennial kingdom. So they're, they're saying, if you are the Messiah, as you proclaim, and as your disciples, where is your kingdom? Where is your throne? Where is your, your people in waiting? Where is your military might? Where, where are they? However, the kingdom of God does not consist of military or political conflict. They are not to expect a gathering of men who are to arm themselves to conquer their enemies, the Romans, the Hellenists, the people of Herod, so on and so forth. Instead, Jesus pronounces, as you look on the monitor, he says, behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In other words, it is here. It is among you at this very moment. You just do not see it. And I think very quickly, just as a side note of the story of, of Elisha, who, who, is, who, who is all of a sudden presented with the armies of Israel around his house, ready to, to pull him in. And Elisha has no problem. He's not worried. And his servant says, are you not worried? Look at all these men here. And he says, but do you not see the armies of God? And he says, where I see nothing. And then God then opens up his eyes and he's able to see a spiritual armies of angels that were surrounding them, protecting them. They could not see. They did not have the spiritual eyes to see. After answering their question, though, Jesus turns to his disciples to instruct them further on the how and the where of the kingdom of God. In their case, he's pointing out that the arrival of the kingdom is here. It is in the midst of us, but it's also a future event. What they didn't know or understand at the time is that there, were gonna, that there was going to be a long delay. As Jesus points out that the kingdom cannot come. Looking again again at the monitor is that the kingdom of God could not come until the son of man, speaking of Jesus, first must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Again, another answer to the questions that the disciples, I think, just stood there and said, what? Huh? And of course, none of them had the, 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 the courage to ask, what do you mean by that? Jesus had been warning them and telling them that there was soon that he had to go to Jerusalem so that he must suffer and be rejected by men and to die, but yet they did not understand it. Of course, Jesus is referring to his upcoming preordained divine appointment at the cross on Calvary. In this passage, Jesus gives them several clues to the arrival of the kingdom that you and I should be looking for, that, 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 that we're going to be looking for. Now, before we get into the specifics of the kingdom, I want to review exactly what Jesus means when you hear the kingdom of God. And we say that, right? That, that's our vision statement, right? We, or, we all want to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is what a true believer, a genuine follower of Christ does, is seeks after the kingdom of God. But what is the kingdom of God? Again, I'm going to refer to John Nell. It's here on the monitor so you can follow along with me that the kingdom of God is the rule of an eternal sovereign God over all creatures and things. Look at that once again. 
The kingdom of God is the rule of an eternal sovereign God over all creatures and over all things. The kingdom of God is also the designation for the sphere of salvation entered into at the new birth when you and I are born again, when we repent and follow Christ. The kingdom of God embraces all created intelligence, both in heaven and earth, that are willingly subject to the Lord and are in fellowship with him. The kingdom of God is therefore, he goes on to write, is universal in that it includes created angels and men. It's not just this world, but it's the full universe. It's all that he created. It is eternal as God is eternal. And it is spiritual form, uh, found within all born again believers. We enter the kingdom of God when we are born again. And when the, we are then part of the kingdom for eternity. It is a relationship born of the spirit. And we have confident assurance that it is so because the spirit bears witness with our spirits. He goes on to write that God is sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient, and the ruler of all of his creation. However, the designation, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, as we would read in Matthew, compasses the realm which is subject to God and will be for eternity. The rest of creation will be destroyed. Only that which is part of the kingdom of God will remain. So the kingdom of God is in the midst of them, but yet there's also going to be a long delay in which Christ will come again to, to inaugurate or to, to settle that kingdom here on earth. John the Baptist began preaching in the wilderness with a simple message, repent, for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus began his public ministry after the arrest of John by declaring that same message. Eventually, the apostles would pick up the same mantle and message of John and Jesus. See, Jesus is preaching and teaching not just a salvation message, offering forgiveness is what you and I need, but also the fullness of God's great plan of redemption, of making right what went wrong in the garden. This plan includes all that is necessary to reconcile man back to God. Now, I want you to think again, just as the kingdom of God, I want you to stay with me because how many times we think of this, oh, here we go, here's doctrine, or here's some things that are heading. But this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, actually affects you today. For if you have repented and put your trust in Christ, you too are now king, uh, members, citizens of the kingdom of God. So all kingdoms consider this to have a king and a lord, a sovereign ruler. In Psalms 103, we read that the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Yes, we may have a, a, a President Biden, we may have a Putin, we may have a Z in China and so on and so forth. But in the end, it is God who rules over all the earth. The others just rule by his authority. A territory, there's a territory, there's a, dom a domain. King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, he was a ruler of the Babylonians. He declared when he ruled of what was known of the known world, he says of God, how great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. There is a constitution, a thing in which we say, this is what binds us. That's the royal covenant. It finds its source 
in the new covenant that we celebrate on the first Sunday of each month when we take of his bread and take of that which represents his blood, the new covenant of Jesus' death. There's a citizenry. There's no kingdom if there's not citizens of it. In John 3, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say, unless one of you is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. I pray that each and every one that hears my voice that's watching me today or even later is that you'd have been made citizens of the kingdom of God, children of God. There's privileges, there's rights and benefits of being a citizen of the kingdom, just like with any country or any nation, any state. And we are taught to obey all that God or in Christ has commanded us. There are, there are privileges in which that as children of God, we are also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. There's a code of ethics. There's a way in which we are to live our lives. God says that we are to live in such a way that, that we honor him. There's an army. There's security. Jesus promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, which is a symbol, a sign of his kingdom of God. There's a commonwealth in which there's a security in which God supplies all of our needs. And there's social culture, there's traditions, there's protocols and procedures. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we are called to meet at the beginning of the week, to gather together, to hear the word of God, to take of the ordinances, the baptism and of the Lord's Supper. And we're to give. Bringing your attention again then to the monitor. The Bible Project notes that Jesus' manifesto of his kingdom is that his kingdom is a reversal of our value systems. Whether we're speaking of the Jewish in those times or even today. The kingdom of God is a reversal of all that we know of our values today. It consists of a radical generosity in which we give to each other. It's a servant leadership in which we are humble and we serve one another. It's full of peacemaking and forgiveness and a deep piety that rejects religious hypocrisy. That's the kingdom that Jesus has come to bring, but yet the religious leaders are struggling with this. The disciples are struggling and not understanding all that Jesus is teaching here. It's so much different from the world. Hence why so many, including the religious leaders, rejected Jesus' invitation to become citizens of the kingdom of God. And I would say even today, there are many who reject God's call to repent for they reject any form in which God is in control. Not all will be able to understand its principles and will simply reject it outright as it doesn't meet their expectations and fulfill their dreams. And, I, and I, my concern is that there would be none here that would make that same value judgment. To many people, the cost is just too high. And what's the cost of being a citizen of the kingdom of God? Jesus said simply to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow me. For many, it's easy to say, well, yes, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. I, I'm a born again. I, I, am a, I, I, am, I am a child of God. But yet their minds, their hearts, their actions are far from the things of God. Now, the Pharisees were not asking Jesus this question because they were genuinely interested in his answer. But I believe it was more of a mocking gesture. 
If you're the Messiah, if you're the king that we've been looking for, if you're the anointed one, the prince, the snake crusher, then where is your kingdom? Show us, where is it? They view Jesus as a threat to their influence. They regard his miracles as works of Satan and of the demons. However, Jesus had already declared to them in healing. He says, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. My very works, he says, shows you that I've come to inaugurate my kingdom. It is here. And I am that king. You must accept it. The problem with the religious leaders is that they did not understand that Jesus was Messiah the anointed one of God. I think many of them understood that. They could not deny his works. They could not counter his teaching. I think really the problem is, is they just did not want to accept him. The redeemer and ruler is in their midst, but the kingdom of God does not reside in some geographical location at that time, but it resides in the hearts of those that submit to his reign. And the Pharisees wanted no part of that sad but now as you and I turn to this passage and you can just open it up there hopefully you have as Jesus turns to speak to disciples these are the ones that belong to the kingdom these are the ones that have followed Jesus they have taken up the cross they they have abandoned many things and they are now following him he wants them to understand that the kingdom is here but that the fullness of the kingdom is going to come with a delay And that's where you and I are. We are still living in that delay. It's been 2,000 years. First, Jesus must suffer as the appointed, as appointed by God for the redemption of God's children. Jesus informs them that the coming of the kingdom is in the future. So they are to patiently wait. However, during that long delay, he warns them about the false promises and declarations of others that are to come during that delay. Now, you and I have seen this over the years and as well as each generation. Men proclaimed to me Messiah, seducing others to join them in their spiritual quest, only to find destruction and pain. Second uh, Peter is very much speaking of this type of false prophets. You and I can think of Charles Manson, Jim Jones, David Koresh. They're just a few examples of men who said, we're the Messiah, come and follow me. History is filled with them. Jewish history is filled with them. Yet with every sighting, you read of people who flock to them because of desperation. There are people who are desperate for a Messiah. Now, they may not use that term. They may not be thinking of the Jewish Messiah, but they're looking for someone to solve their problems. They're looking for someone to make things make sense. They're looking for a purpose. They're looking for a reason to go on. They want to make sense of all the world, and they're looking for it. So it should not be surprising to us, those whose minds and hearts have been blinded by Satan cannot see the reality, the truth of Christ. They're looking for a salvation, however, Their salvation is that of the nine leopards we looked at last week in which they just want physical healing, maybe emotional healing, maybe maybe, uh, marital healing, relationship healing, maybe financial, fiscal healing. And maybe they say, well, we're spiritual, we're looking for spiritual healing, but the healing that they're looking for, the salvation they're looking for is not that of the kingdom of God. Now, when Jesus mentions here, when he speaks of the kingdom of God, 
he mentions about the day of the Lord, the son of the man. He says, even the sons of the man. This refers to the day when Christ returns and he establishes kingdom on the earth. If you've got your Bible open here, I'm just going to give you just a few things that Jesus answers real quickly. He gives them some clues and some warnings and some encouragement. In verse 21, we see the location of the kingdom where we see the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It, it is here, but it is in the hearts of each and every one of you. In verse 24, we see the appearance of the kingdom. In verse 24, he says, For as the lightning flashes and lights up from the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. In other words, there's not going to be any mistaking that Jesus has arrived. Now, you probably have, has anyone ever been into like seen a lightning storm? You've been in the desert or maybe somewhere other than all the, the light pollution we have here. There's nothing more beautiful than a light storm. And when you see lightning, you're trying to find out where it comes. But by the time you've noticed it, it's here and then it's gone, right? But you've noticed it. Even if you're not looking for it. Have you ever been driving down the road and lightning just strikes all of a sudden? Maybe out of the corner of your eye and all of a sudden you just kind of jump? Even though it's, it's off out of your peripheral vision, you notice something. And that's what the coming, the day of the Lord is going to be like. It is going to be something that you are going to recognize. All the world will know that he has come. There'll be no, is he here? Is he there? Or go over here or go over there. Maybe he'll tweet it out. Maybe he'll make a Facebook post. Maybe he has Instagram and he'll let us all know in that way. I don't think he'll use TikTok. Nah. However, it's like lightning. It is going to come and we are going to recognize it. We also see in verse 26... The neglect of the kingdom. He says, just as it was the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Just in the days of, of, of Lot, he says, they are going to be carrying on life as usual. Shopping, marrying, having parties, celebrating life. But yet they do not realize that the coming of God is there until it is too late. And here's the warning. Brothers and sisters, let us not be like the days of Noah or those of Sodom and Gomorrah in which we do not recognize the day of the Lord. We, in a sense, are to live our lives in a gentle and a quiet way. That's what the Bible tells us to do. However, we are to live our lives as we go about our lives waiting and anticipating, knowing that any moment Jesus could come, that day could come very quickly. I may not finish my sentence, and Christ comes. We need to recognize that. There's a neglect of the kingdom, even by the people of God. In verse 25, we see the timing of the kingdom. It must not come before Christ is betrayed and rejected. So now you and I say, well, that's one timing that has happened in the past. So now you and I are not looking for that. We are now looking for him to return in glory as we see in Revelation and the rest of Scripture. In verse 33, we see the value of the kingdom. He says, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. There's a value to the kingdom. You can be lots like Lot's wife and desire Sodom more and look back and lose it all. And I think many times I need to encourage us as Christians. Too many times we accept Christ, but we're looking back to the pleasures of the world, the values of the world. 
the culture and we, we miss it. We yearn for it. Or we have these little pet sins that we do, right? We've talked about this before. You know, we carry them in a, a little pocket, a little place where it can't get out, a little Pandora's box maybe. And we take out that pet sin when we need it, when we need comfort, when we're lonely, when we're desperate, when we're frustrated. And we allow ourselves to indulge in it, thinking that we are in control, not realizing that God has called us to destroy it, to kill it, to mortify it. Because sin destroys. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if you're here today and you have that pet sin, you need to destroy it. You need to involve others in it. We need to confess that sin. We need to encourage others to help us, to pray for us. We need to pray, Lord, lead us down into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Lord, make me useful. Help me mortify. Help me kill sin. To put it to death, as Paul says. To put it away. In verse 34, we see the exclusiveness of the kingdom. He says, I tell you, in the night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. There's an exclusiveness. Not everyone gets into the kingdom of God. This is not like participation trophy. This is not like children's sports, like where everyone gets an award, everyone gets a trophy. No. There will be some that will be left and some that will be taken, some that will face judgment and some that will be delivered. So not everyone gets in the kingdom of God. And you and I must understand that. But in verse 31, look what he says here. We see the urgency of the kingdom. He says, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down and take them away. And likewise, let not the one who is in the field or let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. In other words, when that day appears, when the lightning shines and we know that it's time for grace, you and I, we're not grabbing anything. We're not holding on to this. I think that's not so much talking physically because obviously we don't believe that we, we believe that we'll either leave here on this earth or Christ comes. But what he's saying is do not leave your heart in your possessions. Do not desire those things. Quit looking back. Let go of all those things that hold you back. There's an urgency for when the Christ comes, it is now. There is no other day of salvation. There are no second chances. But then look at verse 37. We see the sign of the kingdom. The sign of the kingdom. And Jesus said to them in verse 37, or they said to him, speaking of the disciples, said, where, Lord, where is this going to be happening? And Jesus said, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Pastor Schreiner notes this, you'll see here on the monitor, that the coming of Jesus will be as obvious and clear as vultures descending upon a corpse, which probably emphasizes the judgments to come. Kind of give you an example, we can understand that. If you see a bunch of birds flying around, you know there's something. You know, the other day I came in, I think Monday, as I drove down here in the parking lot, all of a sudden I see all these crows just, they're just sitting there in the parking lot. What in the world going on? I drive up, they finally fly away. And then, of course, what have I find there on the pavement? An old rat. They've been chewing on some old rat. So I go and do my business, but they keep coming back. Eventually I have to go get some gloves, take it up and throw it away. 
What does that show me? There's a corpse there. There's something there. And what, is, what are we seeing here is this is a sign. Is when you see the vultures, they're like a corpse. You know that the day is coming. It probably emphasizes, it says the day of judgment. The coming of the Son of Man, he writes, will be obviously obvious and clear to all. There will be no mistake. There will be no uncertainty, no lack of clarity. Just as you see the vultures, you know that it's here. Something is going on. Hence why I title Avoid the Vultures. You and I want to avoid the day of judgment. That's what Jesus is warning his disciples. He's wanting them to prepare. He's wanting them to be ready. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Genesis 19. Genesis 19. Jesus, knowing that the end of his ministry is ending, is both teaching and warning his disciples that the kingdom of God, uh, through, uh, that the kingdom of God, uh, though arrived in his first advent, his first coming, will now come in power, delivering the faithful in judgment for the wicked. He informs them that there's going to be a long delay, but he stresses the importance here. If you're taking notes, it's the urgency and the necessity for preparing for that day. That's what Jesus is teaching. There is an urgency and a necessity. And we just gave you those lists of of the things that he's given us. Owen Stratton, he's a, a theologian and dean of a seminary. He tweeted out just yesterday, Christians, we finally get to glory. When we see the king in all of his unveiled beauty, when he heals every wound and dries every tear and destroys every sin, he writes, we will not feel one tiny twinge of regret for the precious little time we devoted on earth to worship Christ. What is he saying there? Because I read that pretty quickly. Many of you say, man, taking the time to come out and worship on Sunday is so difficult. Oh my goodness, I just washed my hair. It's going to get wet if I come out today. Boy, I just, this is too much. Let me tell you, when you get into glory, into the kingdom of God, you will not look back and say, man, I could have done something else on that Sunday. That would have been a great day to go to golf. Oh, I could have gotten dizzy. And no one's riding the rides today. You will not spend one day regretting the time you spent with your family in worship but you will regret all those other times that you neglected the things of God. Amen? And so you and I need to understand that Christ is coming. If I can get to Christ is coming. He's returning. The kingdom of God will be universal. You will either enter in or you will be cast out in judgment forever. In the meantime, while you are waiting for that glorious day, You and I are to do these five things, just simple five things I want to give you. Number one, you need to accept Christ, accept that Jesus is the Messiah. You need to begin to invite others to become citizens of the kingdom of God. Hey, repent for the kingdom of God is hand. Hey, you need to be reconciled with God and Christ has made a way. We want to invite others. We want to compel them in. We don't want to leave anything out in using a sports metaphor. We don't want to leave anything out on the field. Who would want to be in the kingdom of God and think, boy, I could have spoken one more time. I had this missed opportunity. We need to warn those in our family, in our matters of influence, that the kingdom of God is coming. The vultures will appear. 
And we need to warn them, you need to avoid the vultures. Do not be that person. And as Christians, we need to warn each other, do not be Lot's wife. We need to be about warning. Again, we were just talking this, Chan and I were talking this week about heaven. When we get to heaven, will we remember our loved ones or our friends who are not in heaven? How could I enjoy heaven if I'm thinking about those of our family and friends that are in hell? And we answered that question, and he'll be glad to answer that for you after the service. But think about it. If you and your gym buddy were to stand before Christ on the day of judgment together, and Jesus says, enter into the kingdom, but he looks at this man, woman, and says, up, oh, you're rejected. Would that person say, wait a second, I didn't know he was a Christian. Why didn't you tell me about Christ? Well, it wasn't the appropriate time. It never came up. And it could be anything. It could be in any type of relationship, any type of event. Not, I'm just not picking on one. But we need to be about warning our family, our friends, the loved ones about the kingdom of God is coming. We need to prepare because it's coming whether we like it or not. And I pray that you love it and you like it. There was a video I wanted to get up for you, but I could not find a way to get it. It was just a... Beautiful video. I'll try to put it on later. Maybe on Slack. If you're part of Slack, you can see it. But it's a picture of a, of a children's play. And the children are probably, they're probably like Lily's age. Maybe a little bit older. And you can see everyone's out there. And what is children going to do when they're in a school play or a church play? What are they doing? They're looking out for their parents, right? And, and over here, there was this little girl. And you could see she, she was sad and she was looking. And she couldn't see anyone. Then all of a sudden, you could see it. She makes eye contact with one of her family, her parents, maybe her mom or dad. And all of a sudden, the little girl, as little girls can only do, as cute as they are, she starts, her face changed. Her whole expression changes. She starts putting out her, her hand, uh, waving you like little girls do. And the whole time in the video, she just keeps doing that. And she'll look at her friend, she'll do it. Then all of a sudden, she starts wiping tears from her eyes. Are you looking for Jesus like that? If you're like me, you're too busy. I'm scrolling on my phone, my Kindle, I'm on the computer, checking the news, I'm looking around me, not preparing, not warning, not inviting. Then all of a sudden, I'm going to see something out of the side of my peripheral vision. It's like lightning. And there's the vultures. Well, I got my interest. I'm saved. But I left so much out on the field. Let's not be those people. And lastly, we're to wait. It's a long delay. As far as we know, it could be another 2,000 years. Every generation says it's almost time. The signs look like it. Those signs have been there every generation, people. We need to wait with anticipation, with a longing, looking for our Father. Is He here? Is He, is he ready to come? Am I ready for Him to come? <coughs> 
I think you're in Genesis 19, right? Let's get to it. You thought I might have forgotten about it? Genesis 19. God is ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. He sends two angels, and you and I know the story. The angels go there. The men of the city demand that Lot, who is the nephew of Abraham, send out those two men so that they may know him. They want to have sex with these men. They want to rape them. Lot says, no, but take my daughters. Fortunately, the angels had a little bit more presence of mind and grab Lot and drag him in send a blinding light to all the men so they disperse. Lot, we are going to destroy this city. God is going to destroy this city with fire and brimstone. You need to leave. Verse 24, Genesis 19. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? You have been here for some time now. Is there anyone else in this city that you want to save? Anyone else that you want to to make sure that they preserve life? Is there anyone else? Son-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people has become so great, well, become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. A lot of answers in the firm. Yeah, thank you, man. I, I've got some people. There are some people I definitely want to save. So as we go on, it says, So Lot went out and said to his son-in-laws who were to marry his daughters. They were not yet married, but they were betrothed. They were engaged. So he goes to his son-in-laws. These were the people that would be close to him, people he had approved that he was going to give his daughter to. He says, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. Let's go. We have got to go. But look at here. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting, to be jesting, to be kidding, to be ridiculing. Lot left that city with his wife and two daughters, with them behind, destroyed. Why? Because Lot had not spent any time inviting them into the kingdom, warning them about the kingdom, preparing them for the kingdom. He lost him. Brother, sister, if you were to share the gospel, would your friends seem to you like you're jesting? You're a Christian? Yeah? You don't act like a Christian. Why should I accept Jesus if if he's going to accept you and you're just like me? You did the same things that you do. We do the same things. We do them together. Let us not be those who seem to be joking. Let us not be guilty of squandering our time in pursuits of things that lead not only to losing our life, but the life of those we love and care for. Let our testimony be sure, be true, and be genuine. Let us commit this morning as citizens of the kingdom of God to demonstrate our gratitude through our worship of God and our service to others. Let us commit to sharing the good news that the kingdom of God is growing and that individuals are to submit to his lordship one heart at a time. And I beg you this morning, if you are not sure of your citizenship, 
then I would invite you to join with me after the service to find out how you too can acquire this wonderful, amazing gift of salvation. Let us be about the business of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all the things that we desire will be granted to us, not in riches and health and prosperity, but the things that last for eternity. For Jesus is coming again, amen? Every head bowed and every head closed as the worship team comes up. I just want you to take a moment to just to pause to consider these words. What do these mean to me? Am I pursuing these things? Do my, would my friends accept my invitation to the kingdom of God? Would they even uh, accept my presentation of the kingdom of God? Or have I ruined my testimony? Do I need to confess some sin? Do I need to repent? Do I need to prepare myself for that? Am I ready to meet Jesus if he were to come now? Have I put it all on the field? And then would you just pray and respond to the wonderful work that God has done and that he will continue to make your heart like his. That when he comes, we are ready and willing to meet him. Father, we just thank you most so much for your goodness, your love for us. Lord, I pray that if there's any here that do not know you as Savior, that they would come to that. Would you, would you open their eyes, their minds, their hearts to the reality, to the truth that you are Lord, that you are King? Father, open our minds and hearts to realize that you are coming again. And yes, we have lived our lives for our own pleasure, pursuing our own satisfaction. Father, may we confess that sin, knowing that you'll forgive us. And Father, from this moment on, that we would, we would commit in our hearts to serving you and your purposes. Lord, that you may be glorified and for the good of those we love and care for. Strengthen us during this waiting, this delay. Give us patience. Let us use and redeem the time wisely, as Paul calls us to. Father, I pray that you would be with many who are facing sickness during this weather. Lord, I pray in this season, I pray that you would lift them up. We think of Lori and Tom Ladauscher. You continue to be with them. Cindy Favre. Lord, she has found a place to stay at Coventry. I pray that she's now looking like she may have to have another uh, repair on her, her knee. I pray that you just prepare her for that. May they not be forgotten, but Lord, that we would just love them and care for them. Father, I pray that you would be with our missionaries as many of them spend time away from home. Lord, we thank you for the time that we have with the Landros. But I pray that you continue to bless them. I pray that they would not be out of our mind, not only in, in praying for them, but Lord, in, in giving extra of our tithes and our offerings. So Lord, that the, the word of God, the kingdom of God may continue to grow through their work. Father, we just pray that you just be with our nation. It's very difficult for us to consider many times our hearts are hardened against our politicians, against those who lead us. But you've called us to submit, to pray. But also, Lord, you've called us to be engaged. So I pray that you give us wisdom and how to do that discernment, how to live in a world that's very hostile to our faith. Father, that we may not lose our faith, that we may not lose our strength and our courage, but give us a greater boldness. We praise the name of Christ. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. 
Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.